Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. This show is brought to you by Navman. Now, I was having a bit of a laugh before the show because I thought, let me just have a quick look at what it costs these days for a navigation unit. You know, there's so many people out there who are lost, trying to find themselves, trying to find out where they're going. And what the reality is, is that at $139 recommended retail price, um, you can have a Navman Move 120M. Now, this is a really interesting device because it gets all the free um, map updates that you expect. So when a new suburb decides to pop up near where you live, boom, you get the updates available on your Navman that you can quickly update. You still have all of this, you know, features that you'd expect, like your speed limit alerts, your lane guidance, your 3D junction views, safety alerts. Like this is not a cheapo GPS. This is a GPS unit that is going to get you where you're going. Make sure you're in the right lane for that turn and exit coming up on the left. And honestly, there's no more excuses to get lost. I don't care. If I see somebody next time who pulls over and says, excuse me, sir, can you tell me how to get to, I don't know, XYZ place? I'd be like, dude, $139, man. And use the code uncorked at checkout for 20% off. That makes it even less. Do the maths. Check them out. Navman.com.au. Please do not get lost again and don't waste your time on the side of the road. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I am having a glass of Altero to Sangiovese, and it, it's actually from South Australia. This isn't coming from, from the land of Italy. Uh, this is actually coming from Australia, which is a really nice thing to see. Uh, a kind of well-produced Sangiovese, to be honest. I mean, it, it is a $14 bottle from Cellar Masters. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Look, it's a typical Thursday night. I'm having a glass of wine. This isn't potentially the type of wine I would open on Sunday when it's my birthday. This is the type of wine that I would have just on a regular day. So special occasion, probably not. But you know what? When I was just having dinner tonight, this was the right bottle to pull out of the cellar and enjoy does not disappoint uh look i, I had it i had it with uh with salmon and rose vegetables tonight you're probably better off having this more italian style food you know your pastas and things like that however having it right now on its own pretty darn good now tonight on the show boy 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 uh we're going to quickly talk about the huawei p40 pro I talked about it briefly last week it's been a week i'll give you an update there probably the final time i'll talk about it Apple have made an announcement around the iPhone SE, uh, the second version. I look forward to telling you about that and really how it compares to other things on the market at that price point. Uh, COVID-19, I've, I've refrained so much from talking about this damn virus, but I feel like we have to, as we're starting to talk about apps that are going to potentially impact us in the future. And we've got an interview tonight. Uh, this is with uh, Ali from Code Like a Girl. If you've never heard of this organization, they're doing incredible things uh, to try and get uh, you know women into STEM. And I think this is so important. Uh, I, I work in IT for a living. This is, this is obviously my hobby, and you guys get to hear about uh, the things I do there. But day to day, I am surrounded mostly by men. Maybe there is one woman in my in my team, uh, maybe two, maybe three. Like there needs to be more. And this is something that Ali's working on with Code Like a Girl, uh, starting at a very young age to really get uh, women interested in tech. So let's get on with the show. Now, I did mention last week the Huawei P40 Pro is in my hot little hands. It is actually now on sale if you are interested in going to buy one. I think it's around $1,500 for the device. Now, I have to say, I, in day-to-day -day use, this is the kind of phone that I tried to set up to use as a, my regular device. Uh, straight, first and foremost, the apps that you need are not there. So if you are you know, setting this phone up from scratch, you jump into the Huawei app gallery and you won't find the apps that you're regularly used to using. Uh, you can do 
what's called a phone clone. So if you have an Android device already, you can actually migrate apps from that phone uh, to this new phone. There are still some caveats there. The Google ones just don't go. So your Facebook, things like that, that will migrate and you can still use it on this device. So you can have some workarounds. Some of the things that I did to actually get the apps on there was Google uh, the APKs, which is the installer packages for the apps, download them manually and install them. Massive security risks in doing that. An issue around um, updates you won't receive. Uh, it, it is to me the dodgiest way of doing it. I don't, I don't like the fact that I had to do that, but I wanted to really get myself on and using this device. And that was really the way that I was able to do it. Uh, straight away, getting into the car, plugging it in, um, no Android Auto, which means that to use the device while you're driving, um, there is no real safe way to do it. So you, you become completely hands off. You can obviously pair it to Bluetooth and make phone calls still, uh, but you won't be able to make use of a voice assistant and you won't be able to make use of, of navigation. But you jump into the app gallery where they say they've got so many apps, if you can read Mandarin, and you won't find a navigation app that you have ever heard of. And if you the, the most highest rated navigation app um, has more Mandarin or Chinese characters than English characters. So how am I supposed to use it? It's those simple things that you're so used to doing on your standard device, whether it's an iPhone or a, or a Samsung or something else. And when you're starting to use this, you're thinking, this phone isn't meant for me. This phone is not meant for uh, the Western world. And, and it sounds terrible to say that. But to be honest, we are, we are probably not spoiled, but we have the right systems in place where we have a proper ecosystem for Android where it uses the Google Play Store. When it comes to Apple, we have the Apple App Store. If you want to have a third player, you've got a long way to go to actually get the right apps on board. And if I'm spending $1,500 on a phone, you can't hamper me in that way because it makes the device rather useless in terms of day-to-day -day use. I will say the hardware on this device is exceptional. And it really upsets me because if this phone was in bed with Google in the right way. And it had it had YouTube, it had Android Auto, it had Gmail, um, it had access to the Play Store to download all the apps that we know and love. I could be singing praises like mad about this device. I may be talking about it for the entire episode, but I, I honestly don't even know where to start in terms of telling you why you should buy this. Uh, the only thing I can say is the camera is stunning. The camera is stunning. The battery life is exceptional. It, it's, it, the display is beautiful. The actual device feels really good in the hand. I, I love it from a hardware point of view. Unfortunately, I'm not going to walk around uh, with this device in my hand if I can't actually make use of the features I'm expecting out of my day-to-day -day life. So my end, my end comment here is do not buy it unless you don't like having a smartphone. If you want a phone that is as good as a Nokia 3310 uh, in terms of it can make calls and send SMSs, go for your life. Go and spend $1,500 on an overpriced, simple phone. Uh, but you don't need to do that. There are plenty of options available. Do not waste $1,500 on this phone. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I love what Huawei does from a hardware point of view. I know this is probably a little bit out of their control, the American government and things like that. I understand that there are some dramas there. But to have this on the market and actually recommend it to somebody, I can't do that. So if you're interested in the Huawei P40 Pro, go for your life. I'm telling you it's a bad decision unless 
uh, Google makes some changes and Huawei get back into bed and life is good, then holy moly, we'll have a whole other conversation about it. And I'll actually probably get the, the device back to review again if Google Play Store does come to this device. So at this stage, it's, it's out from me. Now at half the price, uh, Apple decided to announce a new phone. It's not a flagship phone. This is the kind of phone that I think you would be recommending to somebody who doesn't need to spend all the money on the bells and whistles. The iPhone SE existed in the past. Um, it actually looked like the iPhone 5 um, in its prior appeal or design. It looked like they had just used old iPhone 5s, upgraded the specs inside the device and sold it as the iPhone SE. The second generation, what have they done? Well, it looks like the iPhone 8. So if you have seen an iPhone 8, it still has the large bezel at the top and bottom. It's got the, the home button, which means it's got touch ID. Uh, you know, things that we've all almost forgotten about. I've been talking about phones for a very long time. And for the last couple of years, if it had a button on the front, it was a very old device. The iPhone SE second generation has a button on the front. It has a single lens camera on the back. Side by side to the iPhone 8, the specifications are so close. The display, it's the same display. Uh, the camera on the back, it's the same camera on the back. It has the same amount of megapixels, the same aperture. I mean, we're talking about, they've literally cracked open an iPhone 8 and made a couple of changes. Those changes really come down to the processor. What that means is the processor inside the iPhone SE second generation is the same as the iPhone 11. That's a really, really nice thing to be upgrading. So, you know, if you've got uh, a car that's been sitting in the garage for three years, imagine taking that back to the dealership and saying, give me the engine out of the latest model and stick it in this. I'm happy with the way that the rest of the car looks. I'm happy with the way that it has. The, I like the paint. I like the, I like the length. I like the design. I like the way that this car is built. I just want a bit more of an engine. That's essentially what the iPhone SE second generation is. It's, it's an old car that's got a bit of an upgrade at heart um, and it comes at a pretty good price. So we're talking about $749. When you compare that to the iPhone 11 at around 1200, you can see why you'd potentially go for this device. It has the power to use the apps of an iPhone 11. It won't take the same level of photography. The display is obviously a lot uh, smaller as well. So you do see the drawbacks, but if all you want is an iPhone and you want to make sure that it's going to be something that will receive updates for a couple of years, maybe three or four, then the SE second generation makes a lot of sense. You'll save a ton of cash. You'll have a new phone. It won't be a refurbished device, um, and, you're, and you're covered in terms of app updates for a long time, as in operating systems from Apple. So that's a really important factor to know. However, it has to be said, and I'm, I'm not going to draw comparisons between the iPhone SE second generation and the iPhone 11. They are chalk and cheese, let's be honest. Yes, you can have the same processor in the device, but if you've got an iPhone 8, you know what the camera is like, and you know that a phone that's three years newer takes better photos, okay? So let's not go head to head on that. They're not even the same price bracket, but let's go head to head on something from another camp. Now, if you did have $750 to spend and you said, I just need a new phone. I need a new phone and I'm open. I'm open to changing. Maybe you've got an old iPhone and you're open to changing camps. Well, the Samsung Galaxy A71 
is something you would have to look at. It's $749, the exact same price as the iPhone SE second generation. However, it has 128 gigs of storage, which has double the storage uh, out of the box. It has expandable memory as well, so you could add a micro SD card in it and expand your memory even further. It has four cameras on the back, not one, four cameras on the back, and we're talking about 64 megapixel, 12, 5, and 5, meaning it's going to take better photos. And I say that because it will have ultra-wide angle, uh, it will be able to do portraits a lot better, not just using software, we actually use the lenses to capture better photography. It's got a 32 megapixel camera on the front. It's got an all screen display, meaning when at the front of the device, there is no home button. You don't need to worry about that sort of stupid stuff. Um, it's also got the inbuilt fingerprint um, scanner as well, still, but within the screen. It's a 6.7 inch display. 6.7 inches on, on a phone, we're actually talking about iPhone 11 size screen. So, at the same price point, I'll reiterate, at the same price point, we're talking about a device that has iPhone 11 might um, at $749. So I think this is where people need to start thinking about it. If you're happy to change camps, you're gonna get better value elsewhere. If you have to have an Apple device, then go ahead and get the iPhone SE second generation, I don't care. You're covered, you're getting a new device, you'll be happy. But Guys, $750, it's still not something to sneeze at. I'm not talking about cheap phones here. We're, we're, this is now the mid-range. Uh, but at $759 or $49, uh, shop around. Shop around, guys, because seriously, um, the A71 from Samsung, it's probably not advertised anywhere near as much as it should be. Uh, I think if they did advertise it too much, it would start to cannibalize their um, S20 uh, range or even the S10 range. The, S the S10 is still for sale as well. You can find the S10e uh, for around the same price, around $800 now. Anyway, just shop around. I think the SE2 is interesting. I love what they've done. I think it was right to update the old SE because it was very old. However, if you're shopping around, shop around, put these two things side by side and look what you can get uh, for your money. I think at $749, there's some value to be had, not just in the fruit bowl. Now, COVID-19, I hope everybody who's listening has not uh, had to test positive. If you are, I hope you're well. I hope that anybody you know who may be suffering from it is, is on the mend, et cetera, et cetera. My heart goes out to people who are catching this damn virus. Now, besides all of that, in Australia, the numbers are getting better. Uh, wherever you're listening from in Australia, the, the numbers are really improving, as in in some states, they're not having new positive cases within a 24-hour period. This is really good results. Um, a lot, obviously, a lot less deaths as well. So we're on the downward spiral, and people are starting to wonder, well, when the heck can I get out? Like, you're, you're locking me in. Um, I want to go back to my favorite restaurant. I want to go back to the movies. I want to go back to the pub, those sort of things. One of the bits of advice that the government is considering is utilizing an app that was used in Singapore called Trace Together. And the idea is, is that if everybody has this app installed, there is a really good way to contact trace uh, people who do test positive for COVID-19. Now, the way that the app works, uh, Trace Together, is you install it on your device. You have to choose to do this. It's opt-in. You install it on your device. You register your mobile number. And all of a sudden, it opens access to your Bluetooth connections. So what that then means is that as you're roaming around, as you're going about your day, 
um, your phone is communicating via Bluetooth to other devices that are using the Trace Together app. Uh, they're almost shaking hands at every interval. You pass somebody, you, you talk to somebody, you go to the cafe, order a coffee. The barista, if their phone is with them and they're using the Trace Together app, your phones will handshake together. You won't know that this is going on. There is just some data collection happening that says this, this device XYZ, hi, nice to meet you, I'm ABC. It's completely anonymous. It is completely random codes and things like that. So the, the privacy issue is not there. Um, once you've collected all of this data, say, for example, within a two-week period, I, I, I feel bad. I go and get tested. Oh, I've got COVID-19. They then ask you to go into the app and use another code to verify that you have tested positive. What happens then is your phone looks at all of the handshakes that it's made and it sends communication to all of those devices to let them know that they have been in contact with someone who is now tested positive. It doesn't tell that person, you've, you've been in contact with someone on this date at this time at this location. It just tells them that in the past two weeks, you've been in contact with somebody who had has down tested positive for COVID-19. To me, that insight is not very useful. I mean, it's, it's not very useful if I get told that somebody I maybe was standing behind at Coles, maybe somebody that uh, was sat on the table next to me at a cafe, that they've then tested positive for COVID-19. If I don't know who it was, where it was, how close they maybe got to me, then how worried should I be? Obviously, you would start to think about symptoms. Maybe you would start to get paranoid about whether you have been um, suffering with symptoms and you did not know. So I think what it would then lead is to you and go and get tested. So potentially one infection could alert thousands of people within a two-week period, and those people would then be rushing to a GP to get tested. I just don't know if this is a real way of tackling the problem. Now, I wrote about this for 10 Daily, and if you haven't been to their website before, it's run by Channel 10, but 10daily.com.au, you'll find the article that I wrote there. One of the things that I, that I was curious about is um, Apple and Google have also since said that they're going to work together to develop a similar app, and eventually they're going to embed it into their operating system so it becomes a standard feature of the phone if you choose to turn it on. It works in the same sort of way, will provide the same type of alert. However, I, I was wondering, well, hey, isn't it interesting that when I go to my Google timeline, and I, if you're listening, I recommend you go to the timeline uh, of your Google account, and you'll see that Google has been tracking for eternity my location, wherever I've been, at every time of every day. And I can quickly go to March 12th, 2010, and I can tell you where I've been. I can tell you exactly where I've been on those days uh, because I've got a map that shows all of the spots that I spent and how long I spent there. If they have that data and they're so keen to help and they're so keen to work with government and things like that, then why aren't they making that data available? Because here's the thing. If I test positive and I can give all of that data to a health authority or the government, whatever it is, and then they can cross-match that with other people then wouldn't they then quickly realize where I've been at what time? And if somebody else was, was there at that time, I could have already been alerted. And this could have been going on as before the virus landed in this country. And you start to think about that and you say, well, hey, what if all those people who got off the Ruby Princess, what if we knew exactly where they had been once they got off the ship? What if we knew that? And what if we could alert all the people that they've been in contact with that they actually had lunch next to them because maybe they got off the ship, went to a nearby cafe, sat down for lunch, and then I was on the table next to them. 
Couldn't it have been nice if I got an alert about that with specific details? Not saying to give, give their name away. I'm not saying to show me a photo of them and things like that. But why not use that location data that Google's been harvesting for years and uh, ramp it up a little bit, start to do some cross-matching and send alerts out that way. I always hear about, oh, there's an employee at a McDonald's in Western Sydney um, who is now tested positive. Okay. What days was he there? Should I be concerned? Was I there? And if I was there, why the heck isn't anyone alerting me? I, I think this this idea around privacy needs to step back a little bit and say, well, if people are dying and your life is at risk, maybe we need to give a little bit more information than, hey, within the last two weeks, you walked past somebody who has now tested positive for COVID-19. Do a little better. That's all I'm going to say. I don't want to get into this thing. I'm, I'm talking tech here. I think that there is the technology out there and Google's demonstrated it for a number of years that they can track exactly where we go all day, all night uh, to the minute. So how about we use that data? All right. Now, look, now, for those who don't know, I have a huge passion for getting uh, students interested in technology. It's a huge passion of mine. I have been running for the last six years a program at my at my old high school where I was a pretty poor student, but I've been running a technology program there really just to try and get people interested in technology. Do something, develop something. Here's some incentives. Um, I want to see this happen. Now, there's an organization called Code Like a Girl. Uh, it's run by uh, Ali Watson. She is the, the uh, co-founder and CEO. This organization since 2015 has been working extremely hard to run code camps, to really encourage uh, women to have a stronger interest in technology. Uh, Ali's background is not just doing these, these fantastic foundations. She has a background in IT, saw the problem and wanted to do something about it. So we had to get her on the show and have a conversation around what she's up to at the moment, how the success has been of Code Like a Girl. Uh, honestly, I think people need to get behind this. I know that organizations uh, help sponsor this program and help these things uh, get facilitated. However, very interesting thing. If you do have a daughter, if you know someone who, who has a daughter, we all do. Uh, this is where it really applies to them because we don't want people growing up, uh, whether it's male or female, thinking that they can't do something because they don't see somebody who looks like them doing that job. And that's exactly what this type of program does. So stay tuned. Uh, Ali Watson, the co-founder and CEO of Code Like a Girl. So uh, we have with us Ali Watson from Code Like a Girl. Now, Ali, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's okay. Now, you started Code Like a Girl in 2015. Um, can you give listeners a bit of an understanding as to, as to what that is, what, what the, the program that you've started? Yeah, so um, back in 2015, um, Code Like a Girl was very different to what it is today. Um, in 2015, I had just moved to Melbourne, um, so I'm originally from Scotland, and um, in a past life, I was a software developer, so I was still doing software engineering um, back in 2015, and I'd moved um, companies, I'd moved jobs, I'd moved countries, but um, one thing that remained the same was I was the only girl on the team, um, and when you're starting new in a country, you know, you seek friendship and, and seeking friendship as an adult is <laughs> always a little bit trickier. <laughs> Kids seem to be much better at it than, than we are. But I was pretty desperate to find um, some some friends in the space. And, and at work, I was just, um, it was quite male dominated. And, and 
not saying that not saying that I can't make friends with men, but I was um, definitely seeking some female friendship. So I, I started just a, a very um, casual meetup group um, and and called it branded it code like a girl at the time. Um, I didn't expect that you know many people would turn up to my first casual event, um, and in two weeks I had over a hundred. ISVPs and I nearly fell off my seat I remember at the time asking my boss um, if we could use the tiny meeting room um, to host it and, and after two weeks we realized we'd have to upscale and find a bigger venue now that's sort of how the whole thing started was just me sort of seeking female friendship as a programmer and, and wanting to share a glass of wine and talk about programming languages and products and, and platforms and after that point um, I, I sort of immersed myself in the world of women in technology and educated myself on this huge gender gap that we were facing in the industry. Um, so you may not know this, but less than a quarter of the ICT workforce um, are women and only um, one in 10 enrollments to IT-based degrees are girls. So the more I sort of examined this huge gender gap, the more passionate I got about it and the more that I wanted to do something about that. Um, so today, Code Like a Girl is a very different business. It's an education startup that delivers um, educational initiatives for women and girls. So we do school holiday coding camps um, where we teach about 800 women, uh, sorry, 800 girls a year um, through those camps. And they're on during the school holidays and um, they're very fun and creative. We, we get to have a lot of fun um, in the team as as technologists. Um, we, we try and sort of push um, push the limits with our capabilities and we create these really fun themes for the girls like head, shoulders, knees and code or into the wilderness where they get to sort of apply technology and coding skills in a really purpose-driven problem-solving environment um, where they get to sort of sh- share and and you know, um, practice skills that technology being applied to endangered species, for example, or conservation work. Like a lot of kids don't match up coding skills with these very um, important and, and big issues in, in our world. So we sort of create these scenarios and contexts where the they really enjoy and engage with technology in a very different way than the classroom. Um, so it's, it's a really fun job. And we also have an internship program that we run where we place women into sort of entry-level software engineer roles um, from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, so we've placed over 35 women over the last two years into software engineer jobs, which is, you know, really like pride and joy of, of the business that we're, we're running. Um, and then aside from that, we also run quarterly events for women. So we'd all started those meetup events they still happen and we actually run them quarterly in four different states across Australia so that's called like a girl in a nutshell you know the mission is to to close the gender gap and we we change our services we try out new things and I think this period in particular has been um, definitely challenging because a lot of the things that we have been doing um, for the last five years have been very face-to-face very um, you know all about that human connection and those friendships and that socialization aspect was a big piece of, of what we do and, and what we were trying to create. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting time at the moment. Definitely is. And look, considering it's been five years, you've achieved so much. You know, you, the, the numbers that you're talking about in mm. terms of 800 girls that you've put through already and, and the internships as well. 
I mean, it's a huge amount of progress. I have to ask, is it mostly focused around around coding or do you focus on all areas of, of ICT? We actually very much focus on coding. And I think that's probably what sets us apart from a lot of organisations that are like-minded or similar to Code Like a Girl. Um, we believe that the, the biggest thing that we need to change is not just about women in tech, but women building tech, coding tech. Um, mm. The stats are getting better with women in tech broadly, um, which is really, really positive. But when we still examine the software engineer roles, the programmer roles, and we go further and further into those sort of um, more sort of technical roles, the, the numbers are just not budging, unfortunately. And the importance of, of moving those numbers, the importance of having women with that knowledge and those skills is they bring so much to that industry. They bring so much to the innovation because technology, you know, isn't just for business. It's in our lives. It's embedded. It's connecting us. And if it remains being built by that one, you know, community, that one gender, then there will be blind spots. There'll be consequences. And particularly, you know, when we think about machine learning and artificial intelligence and these mathematical models that are being created to replicate humans um, and human decision making, there there's going to be consequences if you only build that technology with that one set of people. Um, and so what women can bring to the field is just such um, a more enriched outcome for our world. Um, so we're big passionates about advocating for that and and so that's why we purposefully um concentrated all of our services on coding because that's we believe that's kind of where it starts that's that key skill um you know one of the most sought after skill sets of the 21st century has been coding and yeah by by focusing our our efforts on that we hope to really change and and move these numbers and for women building tech not just being in tech Agreed, and and I think that's for me one of the interesting parts. I mean, outside of the podcast, I, I I work in technology. I work for a large healthcare company where I work in IT, and I have I have female colleagues. I I have reported to females as well within IT, um, and so for me, this is a very interesting sort of thing to hear that within the coding space that the needle hasn't budged so much. But I feel um, today I work with more women in IT than I did you know five years mm-hmm. ago. Are you seeing those numbers? change for any particular reason in, in those areas and not in coding is there is there something that's that, that, that's missing it's a really good question and and to be honest I think that the positive changes that we have seen in the industry is you know no no longer do I have to stand on stage at companies or events and see you know why it's important to have more women in tech I think everybody is on board with this agenda I think everyone gets mm. it and exists and wants it but I think the biggest question mark and the biggest problem we face next is not um you know why they're why isn't there not more women or um why shouldn't we have more women it's it's now how how do we get more women it starts very young Jeff it starts at that very young age where kids are being exposed to toys and you know ads on tv and role models in their lives and unfortunately there's just still not enough women to kick start that that early so little girls are just not meeting women that are technologists they're not having visibility to these careers and all they get instead is the stereotypes that are on tv um when you look at you know programs like silicon valley are 
whilst very interesting and I, I'm not going to lie I'm a fan of, of a few episodes but um, it, I don't know if it's doing you know the the stereotype any good I think there's still a very strong um, representation that you know programmers are male programmers are nerdy and young girls are so influenced you know and especially in this day and age where Instagram is their life or Snapchat like they're so influenced by this pop culture and um, particularly in westernized countries I think we're seeing the gap even bigger um, and I think that's because they are very free to make their own career choices they use role models as their inspiration and there's just a huge disconnect between what girls want and the, and what they see as a career in coding um, so a big part of what we do at Code Like a Girl is we have a lot of um young mentors and programmers and technologists who are all women and they deliver the coding camps they are on our social medias and so we're really trying to change that image of technology and provide visible real role models so that you know the little girls can come home from coding camp and say no mum, I want to be like Sally when I grow up um, because a lot of girls just naturally don't have those networks or have those family members within um, within their lives and so it's it's at that point that crucial young age um, that I think that we need to continuously um, change that conception of what is technology and what is a technologist um, for young girls. Good point good point and you've recently added um, tech puzzles to to your Code Like a Girl <laughs> website but um, I quickly discovered this isn't a 1000 piece puzzle that I need to <laughs> together. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Tell tell the listeners a little bit about what uh, what Tech Puzzles is. So Tech Puzzles was a response to COVID nineteen, um, acutely aware of how disrupted the education um, industry and um, the education of young kids today have have um, the consequences of the of the lockdowns. It's been very disruptive, and we're hearing a lot that parents are homeschooling and, and that kids are super distracted. So. We, we thought about, you know, just converting our, our camps to a remote experience. Now, our camps are three days of fun where they get to build things and tinker and learn to code and create flight simulators or DIY operation games. Like, it's very hands-on. Um, but translating that to a Zoom call, for instance, was just not going to cut it. Um, so we decided to just innovate rather than, you know, hibernate and what came out of that innovation was this game, this educational game called Tech Puzzles for Problem Solvers. Um, it's on a very beta stage at the moment and we're, we're working very agile. So we've just released one puzzle and the first puzzle um, we built for the Easter weekend and um, it is called A Scavenger Hunt. And what we've done is we've partnered with um, some amazing Australian businesses to hide little bugs. So it's little ASCII art bugs that can be hidden in their code. Um, so there's five businesses involved and, and Lenovo um, is one of the key sponsors for this um, puzzle. Um, and if you can find all the bugs on all the different websites, um, you can win a prize, uh, which is a Lenovo idea pad, which was awesome to be able to offer that to our community. Um, but it's really, it was really fun creating it. So we, we coded it up. We actually designed it and coded it up within two weeks. Um, we built it with um, React.js, which is um, Facebook's language, which the Facebook platform has been built on. So it's very, um, when, you, when you're on the website, it really feels like an app. Um, you don't have to reload the page. It's very smooth transitions. And there's this really fun piece of the puzzle where you have to pick up a magnifying glass 
and you look over these little tiny bugs and, and you can see some details and logos that will give you clues to where the bugs are hidden. Um, so it's very interactive, very fun. And we've had over, I think we've now had about two and a half thousand users since we went live um, last Thursday. So it's been been really fun to be able to create something. Um, we had we had due to, to have 160 kids um, hanging out with us this, this holiday. So to be able to come up with an alternative, alternative way where we can engage even more kids than we actually had planned through this holiday um, was a really lovely outcome. And we're going to be building out all the different puzzles for the different levels. Um, and throughout the way, we'll be slowly teaching some simple concepts of programming. So it's not it's not an education platform. You know, you, you won't be expecting to learn to code after playing game. But what we're really hoping for is to spark that address, spark that little glimpse of curiosity so that they'll seek more and um, so that they'll believe in themselves and think oh wow I filled in this puzzle I could probably learn to code and so that's our objective and I think um, we've had um, a few girls like actually find all the bugs we've had a lot of feedback of like where are they so it's it's kind of nice to be able to do something that even adults have been finding puzzling but we've we've had enough um, competition entries to know that yep it's definitely not too hard <laughs> And how are you going to vet the entries where I've submitted compared to those who actually deserve the prize? Oh, good question. So we are, we are collecting a lot of data um, in our terms and conditions. Unfortunately, adults don't um, qualify. So you have to be 16 years and under um, to qualify ah. for the competition. Um, and we're also asking a 25-word um, question as well. So we'll probably be judging it on that. No, I love that. And and look, for me, I, I know that there'll be a lot of mums and dads listening who who have daughters and um, they may not be in tech, but, you know, they, they know that there are plenty of careers coming for them in the future where where they probably should be considering a, a path in that direction. Well, what is what is your advice to parents, you know, to, to try and encourage that or even to get them in front of, um, you know, something like this tech puzzles? Yeah, absolutely. My, my advice to them is, well, firstly, parents encouragement is the number one contributor to a girl choosing computer science um, and I know that there is a huge generation of adults and parents out there who are not digital natives and that the internet and coding can sometimes be a little bit intimidating and my advice to them is if, if they do have someone in their lives who have shown interest um, in, in building things for the internet or, or coding software um, don't don't shy away don't be intimidated just because you're um maybe not as comfortable with digital um encoding so um definitely try and find people in your life that can be those um support people for those for those that show interest um but also there's a lot of stereotypes there's a lot of um sort of gendered stereotypes out there and i think a lot of parents um nowadays are, are really doing a lot to um negate those negative stereotypes and show both boys and girls positive role models and different careers. Careers can sometimes be very gendered, um, especially to young kids. And it's really about showing them examples of great well, great women, um, great women in technology and, and showing them those role models, I think, go a long way. Um, obviously, there's a huge amount of resources online. Um, CodeLikeAGirl.com is, is where you would go to if you want to find out about tech puzzles. Um, but there's a lot of organisations. Um, Code.org is one that we definitely recommend. Um, 
Girls Who Code is a, a US big organization um, that has some brilliant free resources. So there's lots out there on the internet, um, but it's it's really about that visibility and exposure early, um, which I think makes a, a big difference and, and showing that encouragement. I can't tell you how many um, <laughs> dinner parties I went to as a software engineer. And, you know, I don't think it seems like a very interesting career to a lot of people. Um, and I remember being um, quite saddened that, you know, <laughs> I would be chatting over dinner being like, yeah, I'm a programmer. And people would be like, oh, that's <laughs> that seems very boring. <laughs> and so it's showing them that these careers are not boring at all. Like, um, I, I, I do worry that, that women are opting out of technology and it's becoming even more so now and probably post-COVID, um, I do worry that the digital divide will will mean that women will you know, regress the progress that we've made in entering the labour market because technology skills, digital literacy skills, these are things that employers and particularly after a financial crisis will be seeking and where the opportunities lie. So um, I think it's worrying how much women and, and little girls are opting out of technology and technology education when, you know, it's not something we can really opt out of in our lives and in our, in our, our um, employment. So I, I think that um, we have to do everything that we can to upskill as many girls to avoid that regression um, that we that we potentially face. And I think that's a really interesting point too, because, you know, since COVID-19 has really kicked in in Australia, I, I feel that, um, you know, my, my day job around technology has become more important than ever and that we're really Absolutely. heavily relied upon now. And, you know, people are starting to realise how much more they can do remotely, which they thought they always had to be in an office for. So, so from my point of view, it seems like the, the tech industry is going to, is going to swing up. Um, yeah. so, so I guess for, for you in, in the work that you do, it's almost now trying to think about how you address that and still keep that momentum going with what you were doing with the camps, but now doing it more in a in potentially a virtual way. Yeah, and I think you're right, Jeff, in seeing that. I think that there's so many people now being forced to work remotely, to be tech savvy on their own in isolation, which again worries me a lot about that digital digital divide between men and women and how women at this current point um definitely are on a whole disadvantaged through this situation and, and even with the increase in um you know cyber security attacks and and even you know educating people on how to set up a vpn these are all sort of day-to-day things that we need to start thinking about in this remote world um, and so yeah there's probably never been a more important time to invest and to really put the effort in with women and girls tech education so that's something that we definitely want to step up to um, and this is kind of like our calling. So, uh, you know, pre-COVID-19, we actually were about to launch um, a tech school here in, in Melbourne. Um, it's, it's almost wow. too hard to talk about because we just signed the lease and we're in the third stage and we've just completed the curriculums for our short courses. So that's our next sort of big thing and big challenge is, is now examining how we reimagine that in a remote world with online delivery. And so that's something that will be coming out in the next couple of months from Code Like a Girl. Um, and those courses will be introductory, you know, taking coder, coder newbie to someone coder fluent in 10 weeks. So that's what we're we're really hoping to sort of deliver and hope that will so- solve some of these um, gaps in, in education, um, particularly for women. Wow, definitely I'll watch this space. I think, I think <laughs> you know, considering what you've done in the last five years, I can only imagine... 
um, how much more you're going to do in the next five and and, and ten and so on. So, oh, so. It's, it's incredible. Now, now, Ali, I've got seven other questions which are more actually about yourself and getting to know you from a mm-hmm. from a tech point of view. Um, usually, usually short and fast, but don't don't feel too restricted <laughs> in that way. Um, what's your What's your favorite app to keep you organized? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I'm going to open my phone now and just have a little look. Um, to keep me organized, well, I, it's got to be my Gmail. Like my Gmail suite, my 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 emails and my calendar are like. If I didn't have either of them in my labeling system, I would probably you know be the most hated woman <laughs> because I'd not turn up to my meetings and I would not respond to emails so I have a very um I have this Monday to Friday labeling system on my emails and I I couldn't live without my Gmail calendar um I think my team get really upset when they accidentally switch and toggle on my calendar and they get this flash of <laughs> tasks and meetings and coffees and lunches so um yeah I think those are the two that I couldn't live without Remember when we used to go out for coffees? Wow, that was a long time. What is your favorite social media app? Oh, it's got to be Instagram. I'm never very wordy. I'm 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 quite a visual person, and, and I like I just like taking pictures and sometimes putting funny captions on them. So Instagram's my my favorite. But I use I use them all. Like I use LinkedIn. Twitter is probably my least favorite. I always feel people are a bit angry on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. And if you do have five minutes to spare between meetings, what's the first thing that you do on your phone? Hmm. I'll probably check Slack. I have a pretty big team um, and we're quite a big team, but small team, if that makes sense. We have a lot of um, volunteers in our team, but um, in terms of our sort of day-to-day operations, we're a small team of six. Um, and so we're all very dependent on one another. So um, I usually try and check in on my team and make sure they don't need me for anything urgent. <laughs> Love that, love it. And do you wear a smartwatch or a traditional timepiece? Oh, I don't wear either, actually. I had a Pebble watch back in the day, but I think they got bought out by Fitbit. And so yeah. um, I stopped, I at least not not on purpose, like didn't just stop wearing it after that. And um, But it was a pretty nice watch. I, I should try and look out and see if it still works. <laughs> I, I had a Pebble too, actually. I loved it. It was, um, I loved it was the Pebble. so cool. Yeah, the design was really I beautiful. Know. I think I felt for the first time a smartwatch had, they thought about a female audience and female market. I feel sometimes the smartwatches, they're just a little bit bulky um, for like my yeah. dainty, tiny little wrists. <laughs> no, and I, and I think that's a, that's another thing which um, which we probably could have spoken a long, t- quite a bit about was <laughs> you know how much tech is designed for larger that. hands, larger wrists, um, the whole the whole thing too. So totally. Yeah, even when um, the HealthKit app, like I think when the launch of the Apple Watch came out, the HealthKit app, they hadn't even considered like menstruation tracking at all. And this yeah. was something that was like, you know, your heart rate, your sleep, your everything. But yeah, totally forgotten about. They've finally corrected that though, I think. Which is we good. have, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, do you choose the in-flight infotainment system or do you bring your own tablet? um yeah definitely I do both to be honest like I'll download a bunch of offline Netflix for my um tablet and then if I find anything interesting on the plane so because I come from Scotland I sometimes have to do that big horrible you know 30 hour travel job so um I have to make sure I've got some backup you know because it's the plane system sometimes just not enough (laughs) great And, and what do you love to do to disconnect Hmm, that's a good question. Um, over the last three months, actually more than that, um, I took up 
a, a learning to skateboard, <laughs> um, which is really embarrassing because I'm 32 years old and I've never skateboarded <laughs> in my life. And I've been really enjoying it because I find it really hard to switch off from work, like really hard um, because there's just always so much to do and I'm very bad at like kind of boundaries. So what I've found about learning something that's really physical and involves a lot of, um, you know, building up muscle and, you know, small muscles, not like, <laughs> not like big yeah. beefy muscles, but, um, it, and also I can't skate with my phone. So it's something I have to absolutely put away and, and, um, spend a bit of time on and it's physical and it's just very, it requires focus. So I really enjoyed that. Um, what else have I been up to recently too? Yeah, I'd probably say that and, and just, I've been playing, playing a lot of Animal Crossing. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> Is that disconnecting? That's a that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> now, now this this show is called Technology Uncorked. Usually, uh, when I start the show, I've got a glass of wine in front of me, and I that's usually it. how long the show takes until I finish that glass or a second. <laughs> um, what, what is what what is your go to drop if you've got time to kick back for a drink? Oh, I, I can hear all my team laughing at this question because I love mimosas. Like I cannot, mm. I, maybe a little bottle of Prosecco and some orange juice and that's me. That's my happy juice. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Ali, <laughs> you have been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so oh, much for joining thanks, us Jay. today. No, it's my pleasure. What a great show. Thank you. And we absolutely appreciate Ali coming to join us. Don't forget to check out uh, codelikeagirl.com. If you do have a daughter or you know someone who does, uh, do send them to that website and get them doing that puzzle. They can win a Lenovo laptop, so why not go for it? Thanks, guys, for listening. I know it's been a long show. I love that interview, so I could not trim it down, not a single bit. I just had to give you the whole thing. So have an amazing week ahead. I look forward to speaking to you next week. I'll be a whole year older. Speak soon. Bye-bye.